You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Sophisticated and charismatic. So the best speakers, the most impressive gifts, the people who have, you know, the secret, super spiritual knowledge, the latest guru. Paul says, guys, remember... That's not how I came to you. He says, I came in weakness, fear, and trembling. How's that for a resume? And we need to understand, you know, Paul, he's not, this is not some kind of like false humility, you know. You can go read about it. Go read Acts 16 through 18 about all that leads up to Paul founding the church in Corinth. So first of all, he has a falling out with one of his best friends, his first partner in ministry, Barnabas, and they go their separate ways. So then he goes to plant the Macedonian churches. So he goes to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Berea, where he has the privilege of being imprisoned and beaten. Several mobs run him out of town. He's got to leave behind these churches that he doesn't want to leave. So y'all, when he gets to Corinth, he is burned out. He is exhausted. He is discouraged. He is not impressive. And neither is his message. He says, I knew nothing except Christ crucified. And y'all, the Corinthian mind would have hated the message of Christ crucified. Because what kind of God is brutally beaten and dies a shameful criminal's death? Well, that doesn't sound very impressive. That doesn't sound very sophisticated. It sounds violent. But, Paul says, but I did come to you with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Okay, now we're talking. So, okay, that sounds like what kind of amazing miracles did Paul did? I mean, did he levitate? Did he grow in the dark? Amazing healings? What, what did Paul do that really got their attention? Well, y'all, he, he's not talking about any of that. When Paul says, I came to you with a spirit and power, you know what he's talking about? Belief belief. I came with the simplest message in the world of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you actually believed it. So we got to we got to remember the context, okay? So this is a continuation of Paul's argument at the end of chapter 1. And so in 118 he says, "The cross it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, what is it?" It's the power of God. That's the power that he's talking about. And so he says, your faith, you know this Corinthian church, it doesn't rest on human wisdom. It rests on the power of God. He's saying your belief doesn't come from your own wisdom. You didn't figure this thing out on your own. You're not smarter than everyone else. He says another power, something outside of yourself, acted on you so that you can believe. Word he uses power. It's the word where we get dynamite. He's saying something lit a stick of dynamite in your life. It means uh, strong. It means an irresistible, powerful force. In the same way, if I lit a stick of dynamite right here, something powerful is about to happen that nobody can stop. He's saying that's what happened in you. See, you and I, we, we have to decide who holds the dynamite when it comes to our faith. Does it depend on your ability to figure things out and be wise and have all the right answers? Does it depend on some 
special display of spiritual gift? Does it depend on your morality? Or does it depend on the dynamite of God? See, the Corinth church and really our churches are filled with people who are here because they think their faith rests in them. They say, yeah, maybe Jesus died for my sin, but you know, I got to prove that I'm worthy. Or, you know, maybe Jesus bought my ticket into heaven, but, but I really want God to bless me now, and so I got to work real hard on being a good person. Paul, he writes to this church and says, the gospel is greater than you. And you can rest in it. The gospel is greater than your expectations. It's greater than your ability to perform. It is greater than your wisdom. The power of the gospel comes from God, not you. Y'all, that's the whole ball game with Paul here. That's the whole thing he's trying to get us to understand here in chapter 2. So this Corinth church, it's, it's at war, you know, over who's the most spiritual. It's creating hierarchies based on sophistication and performance. And Paul says, I was a burned out pastor that came to you with an unpopular message of a Jewish criminal dying a shameful death. And the power of God in your life is that you believe. You know, and it's so important. We got to remember that it's so important to remember that everything else in this chapter comes out of this message. Is this message of the cross and belief. Otherwise, we're going to get things way out of context. And so the rest of the chapter, he's going to give us three contrasts. Three pairs of contrasts. Let's pick it up in verse 6. We'll find the first one. Verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So our first contrast here is the contrast between dying wisdom and decreed wisdom. Dying wisdom of the world and the decreed wisdom of God. It starts off in verse 6 talking about the mature. Now, you'd be tempted to think mature, okay, that's, that's like the most spiritual person I know who's never missed a day of church, who's memorized the whole Bible. Surely that's what he means by mature. But again, remember the context here. So Paul's goal in 1 Corinthians is to unite the Christians, show them what they have in common, not divide and separate and create, create hierarchies. That's actually the problem he's trying to fix, okay? And y'all, this, this is important to know. It's going to be important to know through the whole book. There's a tactic that Paul uses. And he's brilliant. It really is brilliant, but it can make it a little more difficult for us. What Paul does throughout the book is he uses their own language against them. So he uses the language that they are using that's creating divisions, and he uses it to show how the gospel is actually greater, and the gospel actually fulfills what they're looking for. And so they were, some of them were calling themselves more mature. Hey, I'm, you know, you're a Christian, but I'm like a mature Christian, Right? They had some knowledge. They had some impressive ability. And for some of them, they'd say, hey, for four easy installments of $199, I'll teach you what I know. That word, that word mature, it's the word telos. It means the purpose, the goal, the accomplishment, the end of something. Okay, again, what's this whole section about? It's about the cross. He's saying the cross 
is the purpose and the goal of God. Through the cross, God achieved his redemptive work, the end of his redemptive work. So in that sense, he's saying the cross is the maturity of God. So Paul says maturity is not putting on the best show. The mature are simply those who believe in the cross. So to Paul, the mature are Christians, those who have believed the gospel. And so he's creating a dividing line, yes, but the dividing line isn't between some mature Christians and some immature Christians. The dividing line is between those who have put their faith in the gospel and who are mature They've realized the purpose, the end, the goal of God and unbelievers, those who have not believed the cross. He says, those who have the cross, they have a decreed wisdom from God. Those who don't, they have what he calls a dying wisdom. So let's talk about this dying wisdom. He, he says in verse 6, their wisdom is doomed to pass away. He's casually pointing out that they are splitting the church over things that will not last. Two times he uses this phrase, the rulers of the world. And y'all, often in Paul, when he talks about rulers of the world, he is talking about the demonic. He's talking about spiritual powers, but not here. Because Paul says a lot about the spiritual forces and the demonic, but one thing he never does, he never attributes to demonic forces ignorance about who Jesus is or what he's doing on the cross. In fact, he says often they actually get it more than you do. There's another tactic Paul uses. It's one we probably don't like. Paul uses long arguments. And so we're here in chapter two, chapter two, but again, it's a continuation of chapter one. But his arguments, that give us the context, y'all, they will last for several chapters. And so if you come to 1 Corinthians, trying to read it like Twitter or something, or X, whatever it is now, 120 characters or less, just give me the one verse, you're going to actually end up doing the same things Paul is speaking against. So here, when he means those secular great powers, the context, is again, is chapter 1. 120, he talks about the wise, the scholar, the philosopher. 126, the wise, the powerful, those of noble birth. So those who are important and the influencers of our world right now. And the contrast is between the, the influencers and the mature who have the cross. He's saying, hey, those influencers, they seem like a big deal now, but they are doomed to die. And so he's saying, don't you, Christian, follow them into their death. Don't revolve your whole family's life around what some influencers of the culture tell you you ought to be doing because their wisdom will die. And we know this is true because here we are a few thousand years later and guess what, about, what we know about the culture of Corinth? It has died. It doesn't exist anymore. And so will ours. No matter how urgent it seems, no matter how lasting it seems, everything that is not, the kingdom of God will pass away. And there's a lot of us that need to remember that. This is so important. We live in a world where countless people will try to tell you they have some kind of urgent, sophisticated wisdom that you need to follow. Some higher plane of health, happiness, and spirituality. And then they will slap a Jesus label on it and yell at you on the radio and invite you to their conference. But if it won't last for eternity, then it's actually the dying wisdom of the world. It was prevalent in Corinth, and it is prevalent today. 
But men and women, the gospel is greater. And it's greater because it gives us the decreed wisdom of God. So Paul says, you know, the decreed wisdom of God, the cross, it, it was secret and hidden by God. Now, I was always told growing up, secret, secrets are no fun. All they do is hurt someone. But he's not talking about that. He's not talking about the whisper, whisper secret. It's something different. Paul means something more like putting on a pair of glasses. So when I take my glasses off, I'm blind as a bat. I mean, I see a bunch of blurry images. I can't make out a single face. I have no idea what's written on the wall back there. I, I can see just some blurry objects. I have no idea what they are. Okay? Paul uses this word secret, this word mystery, throughout the New Testament to describe the gospel as being something that God hid, he kept back, but at the right time he revealed. It's not something that man engineered, man invented, man figured out and did the math. No, no, no. At best, at best, the prophets had a blurry picture. They could kind of see vaguely, but couldn't understand the details. But at the appropriate time, what God did was he gave us the glasses. And then we could see Jesus when, when God revealed it to us at the right time. And so, men and women, the gospel isn't just that God sends Jesus to you. The gospel is that God gives you the glasses to even see him. That's why he calls it decreed wisdom. Now, some of y'all are going to love this. Some of y'all are going to hate it. That word decreed, it is the same word for predestined. It means to appoint, to order. It's the word used by a powerful general or a king that sends out a decree. And all the whole army goes out because of it. So this, this is amazing. Don't miss this. Don't miss what Paul is trying to help us understand. He's saying the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus got to you because God ordered it to go forth. God issued his decree, and like a mighty army, his love and his grace and his mercy went straight to you. He didn't wait for you to earn it. He didn't wait for you to figure it out. God, God declared that you would know of his love for you. That's why verse 10, he says that the gospel is revealed, not discovered. Revealed, not discovered. You didn't figure it out. You're not the smartest person in the room. I certainly am not. And you know who knows this better than anybody? Paul. Back before he became a believer, when he was Saul. Y'all, he studied those Old Testament scriptures more than I've ever studied anything in my life. He was intelligent. He knew a lot. And all it led him to do was persecute the church. Until... Jesus revealed himself to him and appeared to him that day on the road, not while Paul was seeking him, but while Paul was his enemy. And I think that's the moment that Paul has in mind in verse 8 when he calls Jesus the Lord of glory. Y'all, there is no more worshipful name that a good Old Testament Jew could give for Jesus. I think, y'all, when Paul writes this, the Lord of glory, I think he is on his knees in awe and worship, remembering that time Jesus appeared to him. And what happened to that Lord of glory, he says? The Lord of glory was crucified. 
but not because of the rulers of the age were in control. In fact, his whole point is they were totally blind to, to what was happening, but only because God decreed it. He commanded his love and grace to enter your mess and to endure all the suffering for your sins. He decreed his glory to be crucified for you. And so Paul cites a verse we've probably all heard before but used in the wrong context. It's a combination of Isaiah 64 and Isaiah 65. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined. Now, I would bet most of us have heard that verse in the context of a funeral or some discussion about the afterlife. You know, what are the great things that God holds in store for us after we die? But men and women, this is not about the afterlife. This is about now. This is about a miracle happening now. Y'all, we don't have to wait until we die to experience the ultimate love of God. You don't, just like we don't need some kind of impressive show, some people to shake and glow in the dark to see the ultimate miracle. The Lord of glory has unleashed his love and mercy through the cross and God's enemies have now become his sons and daughters. The gospel is greater. He's saying here is the greatest miracle. It is the greatest work of God of all. So that's the first contrast. Let's keep going to verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So next he contrasts those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. There's those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. And Paul's sole point here is only one person can truly understand God. And that's God. Verse 11, he says, same with people, that the spirit of a person, that's just the inner life of a person, your thoughts, your feelings, your, your emotions, everything going on in there. And he's saying only one person knows what's really going on in there, and that's you. That's why our whole life, my mama thought I liked butter beans. She'd ask me how they were, and I would say, good. She couldn't see that inside, all I was thinking was, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't. She didn't know. She didn't know what was going on in there. If you're ever going to understand the gospel, you need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the glasses. Turns out it's not a thing. It's not a pair of glasses. It's a person. It's part of himself that God gives you to understand him. That means, men and women, the Holy Spirit's not a bonus. It's not icing on the cake. It's not extra. It's not just for certain denominations and certain practices. The Holy Spirit is integral to the gospel. Just as you need the Son to be crucified for you, you need the Spirit to believe it. That's what he says in verse 12. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to understand the things freely given by God. Now, what's that? What's freely given? Again, we should know this by now. It's not someone's secret to being happy, healthy, and wealthy. 
But y'all, it's not even what we would call commonly the spiritual gifts, things like tongues, prophecy, teaching. Paul is going to talk about those later. We're, we're going to get to all that. Stay tuned. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's still talking about the cross. He's talking about the gospel. And the same in verse 13. Well, what are these spiritual truths he's talking about? It's not some individually specific thing that God has told you about, about what's going to happen on Tuesday. It's the cross. The cross is the spiritual truth. In fact, again, he's referencing chapter 1, chapter 1, 23 and 24, where he says the crucified Christ is the wisdom and power of God. That's what it is. Saying the gospel is greater because it not only supplies what you need, it empowers you to believe. And that means for you, right now, sitting there, no matter what else is going on in your life and how tired you are or how much you're killing it, whatever else is going on, if you understand the, your cross and, and your need for it, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You have the Holy Spirit, the Lord of glory, is decreeing his love, grace, and mercy to you no less than when Jesus went to the cross. See, the, the Holy Spirit allows you to embrace in your spirit what the Son did on the cross. It, it, it takes it from out there and it puts it in here. So there's the dying wisdom of the world and the decreed wisdom of God. There's those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. And our last contrast is the natural person and the spiritual person. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, so the contrast, again, between the natural person and the spiritual person. Y'all, it's very in vogue, even outside of church today, to say, hey, I'm spiritual. I'm a very spiritual person. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I have high emotional intelligence? Does that mean I can do miracles? Does that mean God speaks to me in some special way? I, we know what, probably what it meant in Corinth. In Corinth, it meant people who had sophisticated intelligence, appealing speech, and impressive experiences. Those are the people that they would label as spiritual. But that's not what Paul calls a spiritual person. Y'all, he, he's, it's still the same argument. He, he's still the same dividing lines. The spiritual person as the same as the mature, is the same as the person who has the Holy Spirit. It is simply a Christian. So you may need to hear this today. If you are a Christian, you are spiritual. You are. You don't need anything else added to you. The natural person is the one who does not have the Holy Spirit. It is you and I unaided, all natural, in our spiritual birthday suits, as it were, with nothing added to us. I already regret that picture. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's two things, two things that those who don't have, he says about those who don't have the Spirit. Number one, they cannot accept the gospel. Cannot accept the gospel. That word accept, it means embrace, welcome. And so picture meeting your loved ones at the airport after they've been gone a long time. Picture opening the door on Thanksgiving morning and, and here comes grandma and grandpa. 
Now, what he didn't say, he didn't say that the natural man can't memorize Bible verses, can't post the Ten Commandments, can't even write books about Jesus and sing beautiful songs, or even agree with the morality of Jesus. The natural man, y'all, is perfectly capable of doing all those things. But they can't embrace the gospel. This message that the Lord of glory was crucified for them. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't earn it. You contribute nothing to it other than your own sin. Paul is saying without the Holy Spirit, you'll never welcome that message into your heart. It will be too offensive to your pride and your need for control. You just won't do it. You know what? There's probably many here. I know there's many here who know exactly what Paul is talking about because you were around church or you heard the gospel long before you believed in it. And so you kind of understood intellectually the argument, but you hadn't what? You hadn't embraced it. And y'all, that's like the difference between reading a menu and consuming a meal. To know about God is not the same as tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The second thing the natural man cannot do, the natural man cannot understand the gospel. So they can't embrace it, but they also can't understand it, he says, because it's spiritually discerned in verse 14. And again, don't misread this. This is just the complementary truth to verse 12. And so verse 12 says, with the Holy Spirit, you can understand the gospel. Verse 14 just says, without him, you can't. This is bad news for most of us, because this is going to find the face of some of our most American values. What Paul is saying here is, you are not free. And you are not neutral. So you're not out there scientifically weighing all the evidence and all the truth claims and then freely choosing the best option. That's just not reality. The Bible talks about the noetic effects of sin, which is just a fancy way of saying, your thinker is broken. It don't work right no more because of sin. See, sin is like an infection in our minds. And and so, natural man, your mind is enslaved to your sin, to what you love. And what do you love? Yourself and your sin. Have you ever seen that game, Bop It? You know, it's like a pole and you can pull it, twist it, shake it, all that kind of stuff. Romans 1 says that's what we're like with any truth we receive. Any truth that's revealed to us and we learn, we just twist it, shake it, bop it, turn it, all for our own selfish purposes. We are not neutral. We are not free. So what do we do? If your thinker is broken, what hope is there? The gospel is greater It is greater than your own sin. It is even greater than your own mind. Because the gospel says the Spirit allows you to understand and to embrace what the Son did on the cross. And that's what verse 15 is all about. This is what it means to be spiritual. You understand and you embrace the gospel. That is what it means to be spiritual. And we have made it to verse 15 is one of the most misused and abused verses in all the Bible. It's been ripped out of context, you know, to kind of justify the spiritual arrogance. It's been used to say, hey, 
have some secret spiritual knowledge out there. And if anyone, that dis- and if anyone disagrees with me, well, they're just not as spiritual as I am. So people use this verse to kind of create this personal infallibility that no one else is allowed to question. You know, so this church needs to buy me an airplane and nobody's allowed to ask any questions about it. That kind of stuff. So, I mean, what's that? It's the spiritual man is not subject to any man's judgment. Men and women, just a warning to you. If you are ever in a church where the leadership takes that view, you need to run, not walk out of there. Because that is not what Paul is saying. It's also used to justify kind of this anti-intellectualism. So I don't need to work hard and study. God's just going to magically zap me uh, with whatever knowledge I need to have. And so it kind of becomes a spiritual version. Uh, you remember those Holiday Inn commercials? You know, where they're like in an operating room and pretty soon the nurses realize like, wait a minute, that's not the normal surgeon. And so they ask him, are you a doctor? And he says, no, but I did sleep at a Holiday Inn last night. So people use this verse. It's like, do you know what you're talking about or doing? And they're like, no, but God does secretly reveal me, reveal knowledge to me. That's not what he's saying. So Paul here doesn't mean that Christians don't need to read any books or that Christians are above correction and accountability. All he is saying is that the spiritual man cannot understand and embrace the gospel. The spiritual man can and the natural man can't. And so, y'all, if I had to put this in my own words, it'd just be something like this. You know what? As Christians, we have lived both separated from and near to God. And so we understand the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We also understand the unsaved person because we've been there. But the lost person will never understand the gospel without the help of the Holy Spirit. This will always be weird and foolish to them. So we can understand them in a way that they can't understand us. That's all he's saying. And then Paul, he brings his argument to a close by again quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 4 Forty thirteen. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Answer, no one. No one. Again, Paul is driving home. If it depends on us getting to God, it'll never happen, y'all. We can just quit now and go to brunch because we're wasting our time. But on the other hand, Paul says, we have been given the mind of Christ. And this is just another way of Paul saying, your best is not enough. You need God to give you what you need. You need God to give you a transplant. In the same way, when someone's got a bad heart, there's only so much you can do to fix that old thing. They need a new one. That's the way it is. We are infected with sin. We need a new mind. You don't need your mind reformed. You need it replaced. And this, men and women, this is why the gospel isn't just good advice for you to follow. It is the good news of what Jesus has done. The gospel is, is that Jesus isn't a life coach. He's a life saver. The gospel is greater because it gives you what you need. It gives you the mind of Christ. This old thinker is broken. And so Jesus says, here, take mine for free. 
Men and women, I hope you know this morning, the gospel is greater than your best. It is greater than your worst. It's greater than any other so-called spirituality. It is greater than any other human wisdom. It is greater than all our sin. And the gospel will do everything that you and I are powerless to do, both outside of us and inside of us. The Son dies for our sins. The Spirit will change your very heart and thoughts. The Holy Spirit will put down a welcome mat in your heart for this gospel of the cross. And so listen, if you're here this morning and this message of the cross sounds appealing and winsome to you in a new way, maybe that it hasn't before or it hasn't in a long time, could it be that that is the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself? If that's it, you this morning, don't resist. Also, don't try to figure it out and overthink it. Just believe. And if that's you this morning, listen, you can talk to any Christian about it. You can talk to any of our members. You can come talk to me and any of our elders. We would love to talk to you about that. But if you're here this morning and you realize, you know, you're, you're a believer, but you've been wooed by some influencer of the world's dying wisdom. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been guilted into performance. Or you've been charmed by some promise of some higher spiritual, spirituality. My call to you this morning is to repent and remember that the gospel is greater than all of it. Embrace the cross as the highest power of God. Embrace belief. Belief as the highest spiritual gift God could ever give you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.